0: Hi there, this is John with PureAndSimpleBible.com, and I want to welcome you back to the show. I'm indeed thankful for the opportunity to have you listen to a Bible study conversation, and I want to ask you a question. Can we trust the Bible? This is such a powerful question and an important one to ask, too. Jamie Thompson joins me today to consider this, and together we'll ask and consider this question and other challenging questions about the Bible so that those who are listening, whether you're a believer or a skeptic, can take an honest look at the documents that we have. Let's begin an excellent conversation around that question. Can the Bible be trusted? Jamie, thank you for being on the podcast with me. Very grateful for your presence.
1: It's my pleasure. I'm very glad to be here.
0: And we live like a mile apart, so we get to see each other more often than maybe we, we have in the past. Yeah. But I'm thankful for your friendship and thankful for the bond we have in Jesus Christ. Likewise. Um. You now, people don't know, unless they're going to hear the coffee slurping, but this may be the latest podcast I've ever recorded in the day. The sun is long gone. It's like 9.30 at night.
1: Well, it's only 8 o'clock in Australia, so <laughs> okay. in the morning. So in the morning? Oh, you know. no, yeah. man.
0: Well, then I have my morning cup of joe with me today, <laughs> but I'm excited about it to get to talk this late into the evening about a question. Can we trust the Bible? Has there ever been a time in your life when you asked this question, maybe from a skeptical point of view, or at least from a, a point of view of concern that maybe the things you had
1: always been reading,
0: maybe there's something in it that you hadn't considered before?
1: Um, I think yes and no. I, I've never come across this question from a point of crisis where I've just uh, thought about giving up the faith. Um, but, you know, you always have questions, especially when society around you is questioning the validity of, of this document that we hold to be the Word of God. I mean, my training is in uh, science. I'm a chemist. Actually, my degree is as a physics degree. Okay. Uh, and so all through my university training and before that even, evolution was preached. Ah. which directly contradicts the Bible. And not just evolution, but um, radical atheism. Mm. Uh, And even through that, um, I I never really came across any compelling evidence against Christianity. So uh, I I guess the answer to your question is, I've never come at it from a point of crisis. But it's easy to do, I think, because of... uh, how skeptical society is. And even people who profess to be Christians hold a low view of the Bible sometimes. Right. Well,
0: even especially people who maybe were born and raised in the church who've never really had the opportunity to question things because it's just always been kind of presented to them on a silver platter. Mm -hmm. And suddenly, uh, if they've had that cushy spiritual life and then they're pushed into something, it can shock them right off the bat whenever people are very intelligent who are countering them. So it's good to establish your own faith and value the Word of God now. Absolutely. Instead of waiting for crisis mode. I'll just say this as well. I I, I believe I remember a at least the inklings of a Bible study that you led, a sermon at Whispering Pines while you were in college. And it was about uh, answering the questions that that skeptics or atheists or or maybe it was even like a philosophy based I think maybe you took like a philosophy one o one class and you were presenting some of the the things you had been up against, and here's what you say as a Christian in response to that, so not to to share your age on the podcast for everyone to hear, but I think it may have been fifteen years ago, yeah, maybe maybe more
1: <laughs> well, I don't know about more, but for about uh. Next year will be, 15 years since I graduated high school, so it's going be a little less.
0: <laughs> Rats! I'm <make>, trying to <laughs> try to make you as old as me.
1: Yeah, you can figure out my age from there.
0: Okay, okay. Well, tell me about Alan. Um, in your notes you have this guy Alan, and maybe a conver was it a conversation you had with him? Right. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, uh, one of the jobs I worked at was very multi multicultural. We had um, people from all sorts of different walks walks of life and different religious backgrounds. We had um, Catholic people. We had um, some Muslim. People, Mm -hmm. we had some uh, Buddhists and some atheists, and then there was this Alan. uh, He's his own. (laughs) He's kind of in his his own own (laughs) worldview. He he was. He was definitely unique. Um, We were. We're all having discussion about religion, and Alan was a kind of guy who's um, is quite opinionated. He knows what he thinks, and he thinks that he's right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, as we were discussing things, he was telling me that uh, he was a Buddhist. Now, I don't. To be honest, I don't know much about the Buddhist religion. You'd know a lot more about it than me. Um, but when I was discussing it with him, uh, he was—he liked the, I guess, the kind of Western idea of what Buddhism is. Right, right. It's, it's a, a peaceful, cultural, um, uh, calm and peaceful kind of existence, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I don't know how representative that is of the actual belief system. As I said, I don't know much about it. But uh, you know, he was telling me that he he likes it as a, a way to live your life, and that he he didn't know about worshiping. Uh, he's uh, he said uh, that fat bloke, meaning <laughs> meaning the Buddha, which you know that's Alan. He was uh, <laughs> he, he talked in a very particular way. Sure. Uh, and he, but he was telling me that it's, it's as good as any other way, and he like uh-huh. his, his point was. I can choose to live my life any, any way that I want, and they're all is equally valid. I think that the Buddhist point of view is a good way, therefore, the good way for me. And uh, he, he asked the question how do we even know that the Bible is true and that Jesus actually said the things that are claimed? Turns think, out he was actually raised a, a Jehovah's Witness. So he had really, really? Um, uh, a background in the Bible from his youth.
0: Okay, well, he's asking, I think one of the questions that is essential to not only our faith as Christians, but really the question that all humanity needs to be asking is absolutely is, is, is can the Bible be trusted? And so why don't you take us through uh, maybe some additional questions and uh, things that'll help maybe whet our appetite as we jump into this discussion together?
1: Sure well, i I think that this question really has three parts. Firstly, can we trust that the Bible has been faithfully handed down um, in, in that, you know, this was a book that was, the New Testament at least, was written 2,000 years ago nearly. Mm-hmm. Can we trust that the document we have now is a document that was written way back then? Right. Okay. Uh, secondly, can we trust that the 66 books that we have make the complete Bible? Is In, in other words, uh, are some of the book's additions uh, to the Bible, or are some of the... Uh, Are we missing some books that should be in the Bible?
0: Right. There are some rumblings about that. Okay.
1: Okay. Uh, And thirdly, can we trust that the biblical authors were inspired and truthful in
0: what they originally wrote? You've already kind of touched on the fact that you're a chemist, and so this is not just something you do as a hobby, but this is your profession, you're trained. Right. So it may already have an answer, but I'll go ahead and ask the question. Um, What is this claim that you're making? About faith and science, and dare I ask, who are you to make such a claim about it? Sure.
1: <laughs> well, I'm not exactly a, a, a PhD or a great world scientist or anything, uh-huh. but I have I have trained in science and I've worked uh, for eight years in the field of science now as a right. chemist. Okay. And you know, uh, evolutionists like to uh, tell everyone that faith and science are mutually exclusive. Na- naturally, it's really the um, the neo atheists. Mm-hmm. Kind of the radicalized atheist, rather than just uh, anyone. Uh, but they they like to oppose science and religion and claim that um, faith is blindly believing in something without looking for any evidence. And opposed to that is science, which is believing things that are, are proven facts beyond a shadow of a doubt.
0: What I'm getting from this maybe is uh, the assumption that religion is something that is where we're blindly following rules that somebody else has made. Is it wrong to look for evidence then as a Christian? Is our faith evidence-based, or, or do I just kind of accept things blindly because some document told me so?
1: Uh, I think that that's really the crux of the matter. Okay. And I think that um, that people from an atheistic point of view who are trying to convert people to the atheistic point of view, these, these neo-atheists, as they're called, that's the kind of um, uh, situation that they want to bring up. Right. They, they want us to think that science and reason are on the one hand, and faith and superstition and religion are on the other, when that's not the case at all. In, in fact, in the Christian religion, we're called to have a reasonable faith, a faith that is based upon reason and evidence. Is there any
0: scriptures that support that, or is that just a soundbite for us to use against neo-atheists
1: today <laughs> <laughs> well i've come prepared with three scriptures okay okay so uh let's first look at uh romans chapter 12 and um, verses 1 and 2 okay i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of god that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable to god which is your reasonable service mm-hmm. and that you not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that which is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I like the phrase reasonable, you know, talking about reason. That's right. And, uh, you know, the, the the Greek word there, not to get too much into a Greek study, um, is logikos. No points for guessing what <laughs> English word we get from that. So it really is the idea of logic or reason. Right. Um, it is reasonable to serve God in the way that we do because of who he is and what he has done for us. Right, right. And and secondly, in verse 2, it says, um, but be transformed by what? By blind faith? No, but by the renewing of your mind. So
0: I'm not seeing a scripture here or anywhere where it's saying, just trust me, don't think about this. Just
1: Absolutely. It's a, it's calling on us to consider what's going on. That's To renew right. our mind. The Apostle Paul is commanding us to use our minds in our religion. Okay, well, what's next? Uh, so, Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37. So, uh, just to give some context to this passage, this is where uh, Jesus is having, um, qu- fielding questions from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The, the Pharisees take a turn and he he uh, uh, confounds them. Then the Sadducees take their turn and he confounds them. And and so, the scriptures say that um when the Pharisees heard that the Sadducees had been silenced by Jesus, a lawyer stood up and they asked, he asked him a question. Basically, what is the greatest commandment in the Old Testament? Summarize the Old Testament in one commandment. Mm. And so would you mind reading uh, Matthew 22, verse 37? Sure.
0: Jesus said to him, You
1: shall love the Lord your
0: God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind.
1: Notice how we are to love God. Not just with blind faith but we are explicitly told uh, that uh, Jesus summarizes the Old Testament by loving God with all our heart, soul, and with all our mind. Mm -hmm. This necessarily implies that we must use our intellect to love God. Our faith must be based on reason. We must be using our minds if we are to love God in the way that we've been commanded. That's a very encouraging verse I'm glad it's following
0: Romans chapter twelve. So now there are two verses here that are challenging me to have a reasonable faith and to do more than just say, "Well, because mom and dad said so, then I'll just do, I'll go right along with it." But rather, whenever it comes time for me to establish my faith, that it, it, I, I can reason through it. Absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> what else? What other scriptures? You said there were three.
1: Yeah. Well, this third one I think is an nail in the coffin that um, really shows. <laughs> okay. Really shows that we must have an evidence based faith in First uh, Peter. Chapter 3 and verse 15, the Apostle writes, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear. Mm. So, there's really two words that I want to focus on in, in on here. He says, uh, be ready to give a defense. So, we're commanded to be uh, ready to give a defense That means to give positive arguments and refute negative uh, arguments like you would in in a courtroom or in in a debate.
0: I believe the Greek word for defense is apologia. Yes. And so we get the word apologetics from it. Took me a long time to figure out that we're not just saying I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you and me both. (laughs) I'm sorry for the Christian faith. No, apologetics means positive answers. I like that.
1: Give a defense. Uh, but he, he says, to everyone who asks you a reason mm-hmm. for the hope that is in you. Now that, to me, that does not say blind faith. A reason, a reason for our hope. In in other words, evidence for the hope of the resurrection to eternal life. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you know, if I was a skeptic or somebody that, that maybe I had asked you the question, what makes the Bible... Uh, more special or more trustworthy than any other holy book, and and you have then given me these three scriptures. First, I might be impressed because I would say, "Oh, well, the Bible actually is challenging its followers to be reasonable and not just accept it blindly." But then I might say, "This is kind of circular reasoning. You're using the Bible to prove itself." So maybe sure. we need to take a step back and and look at the evidence. Uh, and so the the first big question. I'd like to ask is, can we trust that the Bible has been faithfully handed down? I think maybe that's the, if you can answer that for me, that will help establish for me and for others uh, credibility that what we have today is the same as what was written down in the first place.
1: Sure. So really what we're asking is, has, have the, has the Bible been accurately preserved? And well, we, obviously we don't have the original manuscripts that the apostles and prophets wrote. Mm-hmm. We have copies. And this leads to the obvious question, can we trust whether the copies that were made were reproduced faithfully, whether they accurately represent what Matthew and Mark and so on and so forth originally wrote. Well, to answer that, we have copies that originate from two or three generations of the original manuscripts, which um, scholars tell from the style of writing from among other things. These are written in Greek, the language that these books were originally written in, uh, as well as we have translations in Latin, Uh, Syriac, and Coptic. We also have secondary translations into Armenian, Gothic, Georgian, Ethiopic, which can all be uh, cross-referenced to give information about the originals.
0: I've heard it said before that we have an embarrassment of riches. Yes. That there are just so many documents that are from, maybe they're different languages, but they're from this common time period place that, that you use all of them to validate that there is a common thread going through it. Sure. Um, but maybe as a reference, it might be good if we knew if there were outside sources that, that would corroborate what's going on here. Again, the Bible's kind of talking about itself, even if it's in different languages. But is, is there anything that's uh, outside of this source or are these these documents that are uh, just Bible translations in different languages that, that help us know that this message was or these manuscripts were legitimate?
1: Well, you know, um I don't know about you, but I'm not a biblical scholar. And so, I, <laughs> hey, <laughs> I resemble that remark. <laughs> the, this, the talk about um, how many generations of manuscripts we have or how long afterwards, that it doesn't necessarily mean much to most people. So I think we need to look at uh, comparisons to understand whether we have this embarrassment or riches or not. Okay. So I've got um, some information here about some uh kind of uh, other ancient sources that we regard as faithfully handed down largely that we use in our history books to understand what life was like in ancient times. So take, for example, the um, Annals of Imperial Rome by Tac- Tacitus. Uh, that's where we get a lot of our Roman history. Mm-hmm. This was written in about AD 116. Okay. So a uh, little less than 100 years after the events in the New Testament. Right. Uh the earliest copy we have, we have one copy from A.D. 850.
0: Oh, my. So
1: that's roughly
0: 700 and some odd years, and there's only one copy.
1: Yes. Okay. What else we got? We've got The Jewish War by Josephus. Uh, this was uh, written in the first century. Josephus was a Jewish historian that wrote about the nation of Israel and the destruction of Jerusalem mm-hmm. in A.D. seventy. Uh, The earliest copies we have are from the 10th, 11th, and 12th centuries. Wow. So, nine to 1100 years after it was written. Okay. The Iliad by Homer, very famous book. Uh, This was written about 800 BC. We've got uh, 650 copies, so a lot more than the previous two examples. Right, right. Uh, But they only come from the second, third... Centuries AD, which is about a thousand years after it was originally written. Wow! Well, uh, what what
0: what about the New Testament? How many documents do we have from there?
1: Well, in comparison, the New Testament we have more than uh, five thousand Greek manuscripts, which is the original language, um, and the earliest fragments of John, which is dated about one hundred AD. So, within the lifetime
0: of the apostles' followers.
1: Yes. Okay. within one generation of people living at that time.
0: I, this is a lot of numbers that are swirling around in my head and probably in the heads of those who are listening as well, but I, I would like to throw this out just for comparison as well. It seems like there's this uh, skepticism of Christianity.
1: Yes, and, and that's really the point that I'm trying to get to. I'm not trying to cast dispersions on these other documents because right. for the large part we accept them. Our professional scholars accept them. We have this information in our history books. We regard this as as broadly true and representative of the original um, original, uh, manuscripts. Um, But the New Testament, in comparison, has, like you say, an embarrassment of riches. Mm -hmm. Um, The most important, earliest manuscripts are the Codex Sinaiticus, which is complete, New Testament, and the Codex uh, Vaticanus, which is not quite complete, both of which date to about AD 350. And all in all, we have um 5664 Greek manuscripts over 8000 Latin vulgate manuscripts and 8000 8, manuscripts in ethiopic slavic and armenian for a grand total of um over 24000 manuscripts which is much much greater than any other book in history mm. it's amazing um tell me about sir frederick
0: kenyon you, you have
1: a note here about him yeah, well, he was a former director of the British Museum, which is a, a w- world-renowned um, archaeological museum. I've been there. It's amazing. Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> um, and he said that in no other case is the interval of time between the composition of the book and the date of the earliest manuscripts so short as that of the New Testament. And he also said the last foundation for any doubt that the scriptures have come down to us substantially as they were written has now been removed. Mm. So this is an authoritative voice. Right. This is something that this man does for a living. He looks at um, archaeological manuscripts, and he determines their
0: validity. Well, you know, I might listen to this argument of quantity, and it is compelling. I mean, the, the, the amount of documents, nobody could deny, at least just looking objectively at it, that any other document comes close the New Testament. Obviously, Homer's Iliad, there were 650, but mm-hmm. 24,000. That's yeah. amazing. But I might think, if I was you know, to step into the shoes of somebody, I might claim, you know, the New Testament was written down so long ago uh, that maybe, and it was copied so many times, that the ones we have today don't match what was written back then. Maybe it's full of errors or mistakes or something.
1: Well, that's, that's a, a fair question to ask. And um, and you know there are some disputed verses in the the New Testament, like Acts eight thirty seven and First John seven. Uh, excuse me, First John five verses seven and eight. Um, and uh, you know there is the contention. Some people say that uh, these were only added in later manuscripts and these can't be trusted. But uh, there are a few verses like this. Um, however, even if we remo- remove every single one of these controversial verses from the New Testament, there is no change to Christian doctrine. Mm. Every single uh, doctrine that is in these verses is somewhere else in the New Testament. Um, uh, And these variant readings are so rare that scholars Norman Giesler and William Nix wrote that the New Testament then has not only survived in more manuscripts than any other book from antiquity, but it has survived in a purer form than any other great book, a form that is 99.5% pure. I've heard 99, I've heard 99.5, I've heard
0: 99.9, whatever the decimal percentage might be. It's just, it's, uh, this is very compelling evidence that we have today what they had back then. Sure. But do we have the exact same thing, or or did some get lost along the way, you know? Uh... there's a, a word called the canon of scripture. And again, if I were to re- reveal my ignorance, maybe as a younger man, I was excited thinking, all right, we're now getting into ballistics. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk about some canons, yeah, but, well a different type of canon. But I'm familiar with the concept that not all canons are the same, depending on what religious group is using them. So do we have all of the books of the Bible? Oh, we're going to stop it right there. And without the answer to the question, just to leave a little bit of a tingle in your ear so that you'll come back next week. And here, do we have all the books of the Bible? We will consider that and more questions next week. Now, until then, you can go to the website. There are podcast, videos, study resources, lots of things that are yours to download and use. Absolutely free. So go check it out today. And until next week, always remember... God loves you very much and I do too. Lord willing see you soon. Well I'm here to tell you a story.